Welcome to season five of the Do More Good podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good podcast. Do more good. Do good. Do more. Do more good podcast. Do more good podcast. That's what you want me to say. Okay. You are listening to the Do More Good podcast. Okay, here we are, James. Episode number sixty-nine of the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, Kenneth. I'm good. This is our third work night in a row that we've spent together. I know we've been busy this uh, last couple of weeks. Some great guests, haven't we? We have indeed. We have indeed. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right, James. I'm all right. You might see the big smile on my face. We've just been discussing the fact that today is the first day that children go back to school and. <laughs> What a pleasurable experience it was, that little walk to the school gates this morning and, and watching them scurry off to see all of their friends. They're, they're all absolutely buzzing, so it's, it's great. How's it been in your house? Yeah, much the same, to be honest. My eldest on the walk in this morning said, I am going to give my best friend, I'm going to give her the biggest hug when we get into the school gates. And I thought, well, yeah, this odd kind of distinction when you cross the school gates that actually then you're OK, but you won't be doing it outside the school gates. If you see her in the queue, no, we won't be any hugs. But, uh, yeah, really good. Really good. They were delighted to be back. So Good. And it's International Women's Day today. And, you know, I mean, we've got a great guest that we'll come on to in the moment. It just happened to align today, but we said today, didn't we, before before coming into this, I know we've both been doing a little bit of reading around the subject, and we said we'd have a bit of discussion about who are some of those women that have really stood out for us in terms of inspiring us through their lives. So I'm going to put you on the spot, James. Come on, I know you've had a little bit of time to research, but anyone you want to give a big shout out to? So yeah, I've gone with, well, actually two people that have jumped out to me recently, I don't know, maybe it was a month ago or so, I saw an interview, a chap called Stephen Bartlett, who made, I think he made loads of money in finance. I can't explain to you how he did it. But he made lots of money. And now he just interviews sort of leaders and things. The social and I CEO, up, I think that's the guy, that's isn't That's the it? guy, that's the one, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he interviewed Fran Miller, who is currently the CEO of Bellstaff. The reason that that one jumped out at me is because she used to be the CEO, or she ran Team Sky for a while. She was the CEO of Team Ineos and, you know, whatever your feelings around that team but she she led in a very male dominated field she's quite tenacious she is obviously very successful um, mm. has achieved amazing things with that team and also in her personal life she's quite tough she comes mm. across in that way in the interview she doesn't kind of conform to societal norms so she doesn't have kids mm. she's not very she's not interested in a relationship that's not what she's into she's all about seems like she's all about work and her friends and I just loved the interview with her. It was really good. She said something around, she was sort of challenged over being a bit difficult. There was a suggestion she was difficult. She said, no, I'm just, I'm, you know, being honest is important. Being a, being a dickhead is not acceptable. And I thought, that's, that's great. If she was male, that would be a perfectly acceptable way to approach business. But because she's female, she's called up on that. Yeah. And then the second one, because so as part of that, she then referenced a book that she had read called Radical Candor. And that's by a lady called Kim Scott. Who I think she used to work at Google and, and big tech companies in the States. And it's all about caring personally and challenging directly. So I bought the book. And then having bought the book, I then discovered they had a podcast. So I just listened to the podcast and leave the book nice. on the shelf, which I know you'll love. But yeah, they're my two, quite topical for the moment. Uh, yeah. I think you're going to go back into history, aren't you? You're going to talk well, about no, I think, I think we were talking about it earlier and I actually had a, a conversation 
with my wife and I think it's a, a topic that we'll maybe come on to a little bit more but just on doing a bit of reading today I didn't really see the impact of the pandemic and, and the effect that it's had on women compared to men like I, I, I just you know and maybe that's just my close nature and I'm sure we'll, we'll speak to our guest about it in a short while but that kind of leads me to to my wife you know I think I have to to put her up there just in terms of how she has continues to inspire our daughters you know works ferociously hard keeps the keeps everything keeps me in check keeps us all in check she's just brilliant so I think it definitely we had a conversation this afternoon actually over lunch which is the first time we both sat down for lunch in in however many months that's our first moment where we reflected and said Jesus I'm, I'm lucky but then the other ones and actually a couple of figures that have come out recently we've been into season three of the crown right and and that got me to see Princess Diana's I know it's it's fiction but just the experience that she had and actually what she K- did. Kenneth, she's not, but, she's not fiction. I know, I know, <laughs> but you know, you don't know what to believe, do you? When you oh, watch I see, that I see, yeah, yeah, I'm with you, I'm with you. You, know, yeah, you don't yeah, know what yeah. to you believe, but no, she, she certainly kind of, as a woman, as a figurehead, as, as someone that inspired a nation, I think she certainly gets my vote. But there's, oh, I mean, when you start looking into it, so many, so many great individuals and people and continue to be surrounded by them today, so... Yeah. yeah, it's a special day and hopefully we've, we've got a special guest. I'm sure your wife will love to be in the same bracket as Princess Diana. Blimey, that's, you know, two phenomenal women there. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But look, let's crack on, James, and we'll introduce our guest who's patiently waiting there. So our guest this week is an author, a columnist, an experienced skills trainer. So after 20 years as a youth and community worker and an adult trainer, Our guest was a single mum living on an £80 a week employment and support allowance because of a shoulder injury she had at work. Now, worried she was going to lose her house, she had to find a way to bring in an income by working from home. So she trained herself in social media and in October 2010 started her first ever business. Now, she wanted to grow that business, but found that the mentors she was offered didn't understand the issues for a woman juggling business with a school aged child and an elderly mum to care for. So this is where the idea for the growing club began after she identified some common themes for women in business, including isolation, working too many hours and getting nowhere fast. And so the growing club is a not-for-profit organization that provides an extensive range of skills training and opportunities for women using a creative and alternative peer support model. Now, during the pandemic, they've been through a rapid rejig to provide a wide level of support to women who have suffered the worst impacts of the COVID-19 crisis. And along with founding and running the Growing Club, our guest is also committed to ongoing work to level up parity and equality in support with opportunities for unwaged women, refugee women, women aged 50 plus returning to work, women leaving domestic violence situations, prison, and young women aspiring leaders. She often talks about how relevant a Kofi Annan quote is, that when women thrive, all of society benefits and succeeding generations are giving a better start in life, which I thought was a really perfect way to position it. And this is where much of the outreach and community work of the Growing Club stems from. So we're really pleased to welcome Jane Binion to the Do More Good podcast. Hi, Jane, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. And uh, I was very impressed. The organisation sounds amazing. <laughs> Before we get into talking about your background and the, and the fantastic work of the, the Growing Club and 
what you've been doing recently. Who are some of the women that inspired you throughout your life? Are there any that come to mind on this great uh, day? Yes, Mayo Angelo, absolutely big inspiration for me. I was lucky enough to go and see her. She came to the north of England, which is where I am. And the way she spoke her truth and held an audience as she did that, that was just, I've never experienced anything like it. And it was a sad day when we lost her. And then of women living, it's um, just in the Arden, actually. I think there's just been an incredible leader through and really shown herself, particularly mm-hmm. through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are two women that jump out for me. And then I'm going to copy you a little bit and say, actually, probably closer to home, my biggest inspiration is my daughter, Isabella, who's 22 and is actually training to run social enterprise. But I learn from her every day. Brilliant. Oh, that's lovely. And just going back to the start, Jane, the growing club. Can you elaborate a little bit on the, on the backstory and, and how it came about? Yes. So I love the story you told. It's so nice to hear that summed up in two minutes or whatever. I was a youth and community worker. I was an advocate in the young men's prison, tore my shoulder, single mom, and I discovered what it's like to live on benefits and, and be scared. And because I couldn't drive because of my shoulder injury, uh, I couldn't get decent work. And one of the things that influences our work a lot is the United Nations Sustainable Development Goal 8.3, which is decent work. And that's about women having access to decent work, as opposed to at the moment, or at least pre-COVID, the big agenda in the country was any work, just work. And we were seeing so many women in low-paid, insecure work. It's just pointless, really. Absolutely pointless and really stressful. So kind of that bit of my story is really relevant to where we are. So yes, I went self-employed. I knew nothing about business, nothing. I actually thought business was a terrible thing. You know, the private sector, money grabbing, what's it? And then there I was and had made a decision in my head, right, I've left behind the good work. I'm now in the private sector. And of course, inevitably, the two worlds collided. As as you say, I was working with more and more women. As an adult trainer, I then started training people in social media for business. And I was working with more and more women soul traders because they trusted me. I always say my um, unique selling point was that I was an old lady and women trusted me in that. And would say things like, oh, you don't make us feel stupid. Why would I do that? I then saw this common theme of women working ridiculous hours, not making enough money, running themselves ragged, uh, juggling so much. One of the first courses we ran, actually, was called Spinning Plates, because that's what we were seeing. Women were see, spinning so many plates. And that whole, I really challenged me around the, um, 
some women have a, a bad habit of going, oh, I can multitask, but actually it's not a good thing. And it's really stressful. And it actually isn't a good look as a business owner. That um, feels particularly relevant at the moment, maybe as, as we're coming out of a bit of homeschooling. And I know Kenneth was talking about it a little bit in the um, in the intro about how, let's say, homeschooling has, has fallen more to, to the women in the households that actually they're trying to run businesses and it's fallen to them to look after the kids in more cases than not. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that is what we've seen women running small businesses and we work with women running small businesses because they were ignored really in in business growth funding women running micro businesses were not on the agenda Uh, so they were the women that we chose to work with their businesses have taken a hammering because I think someone one of our women said you know you have this this window between 2am and 3am and you can decide to sleep or work on your business. So we have been really trying to support women in that. And actually a current program that we had funding for was around well-being. Well-being and money are the two single big issues right now for the women we're working with. And Jane, do you think it was your, your background that kind of helped lead you into this direction you were always destined to kind of help do something that would support others or was there something else in there yeah I mean there was some frustration on my part so as you said I knew I had to grow my business I if I didn't bring in income then that's it house gone so I asked for a mentor it took me a little while to realize what was going on but I was quite shocked at the lack of understanding of women running businesses when they have other commitments as well. And I know men have other commitments as well, but you will both know that overall, most domestic tasks do fall to the woman. And certainly women working from home, it was the same for me. You know, I just get a call from my mum, can you just, at home, clearly watching telly all day, that, that meant that, there wasn't, women weren't getting that support. So there was my frustration. I was seeing these patterns that I was thinking, why isn't anyone else seeing these patterns? But it was just lack of interest, really. And yes, that's when the two worlds collided. That's when I, um, because I was a youth and community worker, most of my work had been with adult women or young women. And so I got that. So the business education side and my experience of working with women, we just called a group of women together and said, okay, this is what we're seeing. We have written a year program. We will run it if eight of you pay us and sign up. And 10 women signed up. And that was in 2016. And from that point then, that year, we started the social enterprise I realised there will be lots of women like me on benefits with a lot of skill, a lot of talent, a lot to give, but they're offered cleaning or caring. Really important jobs, but that might not be where their skills lie. There's all this wasted talent. And my daughter will tell you, if there's one thing I hate, it's waste. (laughs) Uh, And I couldn't bear to see all this wasted talent there. 
and women not knowing where to go or where to get the help or, you know, they might have brilliant ideas and what do they do with them? So we're working with women running micro-businesses and then we decided we wanted to work with unemployed women who had things to offer. I really like that approach to how you talked about if we can get eight of you on board, then we can run this. This kind of really authentic, but kind of a crowdfunding style. So actually, you're as bought into this as I am. I, you know, I will run this for you if we're in a gang together and we can do it all together. That, that sense of, I guess, you know, as, as rough as the past year has been, certainly locally here, we've seen communities come together. We've seen groups of people come together. There's been some lovely examples of that. And it feels like this is another one. And that, I think, is what's been really important. So in terms of my background influencing this, it was peer work. We get so much done in group work when you that penny drops and you go, oh, it isn't only me then. Okay, other women in the room feel like that too. Ah, okay. So it's the peer work that's been really important. And as a result of that, we now have hundreds of women I do call us, the, the subtitle is Hotel California. Yes, you can check out, you can finish your course, but actually you can never leave. You're then <laughs> part of our growing club community. And women then dip in and out. We may not see a woman for 12 months, and then she comes back, and uh, the time is right for her to do something else. But those women support each other. And just out of the blue, I got a message on Friday, uh, one of our women makes the most amazing handbags, Amanda Gallagher. And she sent me a message saying, I made these little International Women's Day purses. Would you mind if I sold them and gave you the money? <laughs> you touched on it earlier about that kind of culture of the group, about how you don't make them feel stupid. That actually it's a safe space for you to say, because I would love to go to a meeting where actually there's an amnesty <laughs> on, on terms and phrases that I use every day. Actually, I, I have no idea what that means. Can I, can I ask? Does anyone else know what that acronym is? So we have our values very clearly laid out that were agreed between service users and, and everyone involved, all our uh, stakeholders, and creating a safe space is the most important thing because many of the women we work with school would not have been a safe a safe space it was i'm dyspraxic as is my daughter school was not a safe space and i think bringing that is really important you can't learn if you don't feel safe bottom line absolutely bottom line and yet we haven't quite learned that in education somehow and Jane, we talked about it a little bit at the start, but there's no doubt that the pandemic has had a more negative impact on, on women than it has on men. I mean, I think you just have to look at some of the studies we were reading something earlier that said women were able to do one hour of uninterrupted work for every three hours of a man has been able to do during this. And, you know, there's actually 140,000 more women on furlough than there is men. And of course, they tend to work in in retail and, and some of those other areas that have been significantly affected by this and I guess then we you know we'll, we'll get on to the future and actually what it's going to be like coming out of this and the role the, the growing club will will play in it but I guess can we rewind to, to to maybe March last year having the growing club having this community of of women that had been through the the, the club and continue to go on 
how did you guys have to react when it came to the the pandemic and and how quickly did you say maybe we need to kind of slightly change and pivot here to 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 really focus on on what the impact of the pandemic will be it's very hard to go back this time last year it's still very painful isn't it it's very painful i was actually on leave the night before we were flying out to spain it, it's like, no, sorry, you're not going. Oh. Uh, so uh, lockdown hit. But I just knew I made an announcement on our page immediately. We're here. We're going to sort this out. We are not going anywhere, okay? And within a week, all our courses were up and running via Zoom. Most of us had never heard of Zoom, of course, at that point. Furlough and Zoom, two new words. All our courses were up and running, including our weekly drop-in, where women would just come along to our room and do a bit of work, ask some questions. Even that went on Zoom. And it was so important to do that. The downside of it, so I'm on a course with the School of Social Enterprise at the moment. Nearly all social enterprise leaders were saying the same We just went into sprint mode when actually it turned out to be a marathon. We became very tired as a result and and then needed to just level out around that. But we have and we're still delivering everything. For about a month, we got to deliver face to face again and and then stop. The women really appreciated that time. The challenge for me was starting courses on Zoom. Where we had the groups and we're already working with women, moving them onto Zoom was okay. But the idea of starting a group on Zoom and creating a safe space via a screen, well, that's way too weird. How, how are we going to do that? But we have, amazingly, and it's worked. You've gone on to work with some quite big brands. So they're, they're listed on your on your website. You've worked with the Santander Foundation, National Lottery, NatWest. How has the, has the process of, being, uh, of getting more kind of support from organisations to help with your mission? There's some big names on there. We're very lucky that people love what we do. In the beginning, we couldn't be heard. We couldn't get ourselves heard. There's still that agenda of women running micro-businesses, Oh, they're lifestyle businesses. They're not important. We had to really challenge that, really push. You know, I've talked to very influential decision makers who kind of went, oh, women in business, lovely, and and gave me that pat on the head. And it's like, oh, okay, we've got a long way to go, haven't we? And that was only 2016-17. Mm. But we've hung on in there, so we're in the beginning, there wasn't any support until we got awards for all. So our first support was lottery awards for all. But essentially, we just keep proving that it works. We've had our second social impact report produced last year. But what's really working is that word of mouth. So now I speak to someone and people go, Oh, yeah, we've heard about that. And that's lovely. We're tiny. We're a really, really tiny organisation. But because what we're doing works, women are talking about it. In May last year, 
we got three years lottery funding from rich communities. If we hadn't had that, I don't think we'd have survived the pandemic. But that came in just in time. And every day I say a little prayer of thanks. <laughs> I'm not sure we'd have survived because, as you know, money was held back. And it was only towards the end of last year that organisations like ours were able to access any funding. So yes, we've been lucky that people got it, but then the pandemic meant money got diverted elsewhere. Yeah, just by telling stories, people are hearing it. It's amazing to hear you talk about it. And I'm sure, as you say, it's one of those things that's probably spreads like wildfire once someone tells one person about it. And then that, that, that sounds really interesting. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about some of the work that you've done with underrepresented groups. I mean, particularly, I think in the introduction, you know, we spoke about refugees and other groups of individuals in society. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the work that you've done there or you're, you're looking to do in those groups? Yeah, now that started with us running a programme for unemployed women so our first funding was Awards for All, and we ran this pilot with unwaged women that were might be interested in starting a business. And that went well, and they told us what they wanted to do differently and everything. And then we got some more funding, and now that has become a core part of our offering. But that model works for different groups. So we then run it for women over 50 who, and well, as you know, with the whole WASPy thing. So women can't retire now uh, until they're 67. But um, actually women that were losing their jobs in their 50s were finding there was no work for them. That left them a very long time on benefits, which again is wasted talent. We decided to run the programme that we call the Sewing Club for women over 50. And that worked beautifully. The messages that came out was them saying, you've given us permission to follow our dreams. And that really hit me. They knew 30 years before that they knew they wanted to do, just got shelved. Mm. And, it, and that has been beautiful. But it's that model that we then ran for women refugees in the area. Same model, except we had a translator. That was brilliant. So uh, we did all the preparation, had all our worksheets translated into Arabic, only to find that the women didn't read Arabic because most of them hadn't been to school. That was the most, that was a beautiful course. Uh, the translator just got in there, joined in, loved the course. And that was probably one of my favourite experiences. And actually my daughter came out to volunteer to help us run that. And that, I think, made her understand that she wanted to run a social enterprise. The journey we take women in six weeks is just incredible. I would not have thought it myself. Probably at least 45% of our participants are women with disabilities or long-term health conditions. We've just got funding from the Francis C. Scott Trust to run our programme with young women. And it was actually the pandemic 
that bumped that up our agenda. We'd been approached two years ago to run our work with young women, and they said we don't have the resource. And then I, when I saw what happened with the pandemic, that young people and women are going to be impacted economically for a very long time, we just bumped young women up our agenda and said, we've got to do this. And we've got funding, and that work starts in May. Uh, so we're very excited about that. Um, it's interesting you talk about f- following dreams and I promise this wasn't planned but that's what Fran Miller's talking about in the in the interview that I referenced right at the top of the show that she's all about what you know follow your dreams go for it now what are you what are you hanging around for and it's almost her surprise that other people don't do that though yeah check that one out so James is running a bit late as usual so it gives me a quick opportunity just to give you an update on where you can find more about us on the social channels so we're on Twitter and Instagram at Do More Good Pod. You can also visit us on the website at domoregood.uk. There you can find loads of episodes and information, and we're also launching our new newsletter soon, so you can hear all about our latest episodes and get some of the VIP content. Oh, here he is. Come on, James, where you been? You talked there about young women and older women and, and the impact that that's going to have. There must have been a lot of focus on well-being and mental health. What sort of advice and support have you been able to give over the past 12 months? Very early on, we realised that our work is to keep women resilient and keep them buoyant. That's it. We're going to keep them buoyant as we will come out the other side. They may not be able to work on their business right now. That may be really frustrating for them, but actually... Let's just stay in touch. Let's just keep doing what we can do. It will pass. So that just became top of our agenda. And then, as I say, we got some funding from Smallwood that was primarily to run a wellbeing programme. We've been, I think, second lockdown just did everyone's head in, right? (laughs) Um, And I think... We really, really saw it in January, that struggle to get that funding and to be able to put on just programs of well-being. So every Monday and Wednesday, there's live events. It's all free, live events or 15 minutes or um, a two-hour workshop or whatever. Just this fantastic program that one of our women, Sarah Ludford, is running really beautiful and of course the benefit of being on zoom is that women are coming to us from all over the place whereas originally they'd have to get to Lancaster if they wanted to work with us and now we're having women coming from all over we had a woman from Vancouver uh last week oh okay that's great and it's lovely and all they're all welcome but they're all women welcome and that wasn't only for women in business that was for making sure there is something for every woman to come and, you know, just try and top yourself up a little bit. On one of the programs we were running, we quite often ask this question, where are you on this line between zero and 10? Zero is you're running on empty, 10 is you're topped up. Now, the theory is you've got to be at least seven to be innovative and creative. Anything below seven and you're functioning. And I was really shocked. This has never happened before. But most of the women on the course 
said they were at a two. Wow. And that has never happened before. For women to be running that empty, um, all nearly all of them in the room, I was shocked. I mm. just thought, flipping out, okay, this is really serious. We've really got to do something about this. And Jane, I mean, you speak so passionately about the work and I mean, obviously, as you said, you started it in 2016, been going for five years now, you're exploring new opportunities, but you are still relatively small organisation based in the northwest. Is that right? Yeah, we're in Lancaster, in Lancashire. Lancaster. I guess, Jane, my my question that that comes out of that, taking into consideration, you know, the, the size of you, but, you know, hearing your passion is, I'm sure you've had some thoughts about scaling this and about like the the amazing effect that you've seen or the the transformation in in women who've been part of your club and you've seen them come in on day one probably as you say being a a two and hopefully leaving at the end of the six weeks on a nine have you had any thoughts about how you can you can scale this you can you can impact more more women uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a, a big debate because originally, you know, I was the founder, I was the trainer. I was then running myself ragged. And people were saying, oh, can you come and run a course over here and over here? And it's like, I can only be in one place at a time. So the decision was, we get it right here locally. We get it right here. And then we can figure out how we roll it out. Now, we had started that. So... We'd started the process of training other trainers. So when women come through our programs, if we we will spot women that we think, hmm, I think we might bring you on board. Yeah? <laughs> um, and we ask them and then we train them up, they shadow, and then they do train trainers. So we've been doing it that way. But that was still going to be a challenge. Is actually the pandemic that has made us go, oh, we can run our courses online and it works. Mm -hmm. So that's how we're scaling up. So we trialed our growth program. That's just coming to an end as an online course. And actually, we're all in the recording studio later this month to make sure our startup course and our growth course it can be offered as an online. And it's the fact that women have come to us from all over the country and have said, we really want to do this and we can't get to Lancaster, what do we do? And it, it's not just you, as you've touched on, and I think we should probably give a shout out to Claire Stevenson, who reached out to us directly and, and, and spoke about the Growing Club. And, and obviously she's one of your volunteer mentors working in it. I'm sure that offers as much to those volunteers as it does to the people who are taking part in the programme. Is that what you've seen? Yes, we are really grateful and we are very lucky. People come to us and say, how can I help? And the business community, so as you were saying, Claire's one of our mentors. And every year we train up a group of mentors to to go and work with with our startups. I mean, it's it's a challenge. But people do get a lot out of it and people really want to give back and get stuck in. And even our tiny organisation, we did our annual report. Um, We had created work for 45 people um, last year. For our tiny, tiny organisation to have created work 
for 45 people last year felt great, really, really great. It's not just staff that you've brought on board. We were talking just before we pressed record about how you've, you've got a rescue dog and a rescue goldfish now living with you. <laughs> we have our own bloodhound at the Do More Good podcast and Kenneth has been on the case and he, he has noted that last November you were nominated for the Women of Inspiration list, recognising women for their contribution to UK social enterprise during the pandemic. That's very nice. How did that feel to be nominated? Uh, no, well, I had no idea. I have to say, I did not know. And then I just got tagged on Twitter that I was on the list of 100. It's like, oh, okay, that's nice. It would have been nice to kind of have a party or something, but we're only locked down. But um, yeah, I was really chuffed. It was a very nice surprise. And I have no idea where it came from or who... Yeah, like who heard of us or anything? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's great. It must be must be nice to get the recognition. Although from speaking to you, Jane, I'm sure this isn't something that you do because you want to get that recognition. It sounds like, you know, you see the the good, the positive impact of of your work and the organisation's work, and and that's what produces your fuel that that keeps you going. Would that would that be right? Yeah, I I like our work to be recognised because I think our work's really important. I'm looking forward to just disappearing, really. (laughs) So I I said to one of the directors in the days when we had Christmas parties, I am looking forward to coming to our Christmas party and no one knowing who I am because then we've grown so many trainers and they are out there delivering the training so, yeah, I, I really would like to hide away a little bit more, but that our work is recognised. That is the kind of attitude that gets you nominated for awards. That's exactly <laughs> it. Um, so we had a little scroll through your website and there are, there are so many different avenues that we could have taken a conversation with you, slightly different to what we've talked about before. You've written a children's story about dyspraxia you're so clumsy charlie it's called which is available in all good bookshops and presumably some terrible bookshops as well um (laughs) could you tell us about the impact that you hope that book has maybe oh yeah okay i didn't know you'd seen that thank you that's what we like to do jane like to bring surprises to to the to the table uh (laughs) just when you're comfortable that's when we no that's lovely and interestingly someone I I got tagged on Instagram a teacher had found it and he shared it just this weekend so when my daughter was 10 it was found she was dyspraxic we'd never heard of it like furlough and zoom we'd never (laughs) heard of it and we looked it up and as we were looking it up I went oh 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 that's me oh now in those days and they were still blaming mothers for it. She must have been born too early. And we've now found out it's genetic. So yes, it is all my fault, however, differently. But when we found out, as you do, we went to the library to find a book, a children's book on dyspraxia, because obviously there would be one. And then we could read it together and get our heads around it and all be lovely. And there wasn't one. And I went on that big website where you look for books. And there wasn't one. And I, and I was thinking, am I spelling it wrong? Or what's going on? But there weren't any. So me and my daughter sat in bed writing books for children about dyspraxia. And, you know, what we would like to be out there. 
Anyway, I met a publisher completely by accident. At the very end of our brew together, I said, I've written this children's book. And he went, oh, I'd like to see it. And he had it. And I actually said, the loveliest bit about my book are the illustrations. And I said, I'd like this man, Colin, to illustrate my book. And he agreed. And it's the most beautiful book. So it all came about to support my daughter. And actually, my daughter's hidden in there. There's um, a character called Auntie Bella. And, and that's my daughter. And there's a word that my daughter always said, which completely makes sense, but apparently isn't a word. And so she always used the word patentful. So I've also included that in the book. Nice. Lovely. Story. Any more any more bestsellers on the uh, on the agenda, <laughs> Jane? Have you got any? I mean, I wrote I wrote a book called The Heart of Sales, which is about ethical selling when you're an ethical company. But I'm currently uh, <laughs> I don't think Kenneth was expecting you to say yes, but there is. No. Of course, oh, yeah, of course yeah, there, there is. is. Yeah, That's yeah. already out there. That's been out there a couple of years. But I am writing a children's book inspired by my talk, and it's called The Bear that's afraid of the dark nice nice that sounds like you've got an interesting few months ahead in, in that one with everything I don't know how you find the time Jane I think that's that's quite clear from what you've been talking about you're obviously not able to kind of pull back quite yet and you've got a lot of I'm sure your to-do list is so long of all the great things that you want to achieve and and, and do so look we'll, we'll we'll begin to kind of wrap up the episode there I just wondered if you could kind of finally sum up and and you know if there's someone listening to this they've listened to what you've talked about in in terms of the growing club what it stands for what it's doing for women is there anything that you would say to anyone who's thinking oh I'd love to get involved in something like that I'd love to make a contribution in in some kind of way how would you sum that up yeah (laughs) get in touch there's always things that people can do to help if you find you have too much money we, we can help you spend that. Um, if you have skills, if you have time, if you couldn't tidy up anything, we welcome that help. I'm kind of always surprised when people give their time because time is so precious. And I always ask why. And nearly always it's because of wanting to belong. People want to come and help us because they want to belong to something a community initiative people know that they will get as much from it as they give nice it reminds me james i was just thinking then about rebecca elkham's movement you know femme mentored Mm. about what they're trying to do at the the moment i don't know if you've come across this jane but a previous guest that we had on the show is they've put together like a, a mentoring network for women by women essentially so it's kind of creating diverse leaders and introducing people to just get a different perspective because quite often and i think this has been part of the problem of the last 12 months is that people don't feel like they've got anyone to go to to actually share those experiences and so you know, hopefully technology can work and it can facilitate that. So give a shout out to those guys in terms of what they're trying to do. But, you know, there's lots of lots of different ways of people connecting and, and supporting each other. So it's it's great. Yeah, no, really important. In fact, two important pieces of work we've done because of lockdown have been listening projects. So we've actually trained peer mentors 
and we're training uh, community listeners as well because I, I absolutely agree someone to talk to we're all meant to be really stoic and actually we just need to talk and have a cry and um, I, it concerns me when we go, I know it's worse for other people, but it's not a competition. Mm. You know, if you're feeling sad, you're feeling sad. If you're mm. feeling lonely, you're feeling lonely. And, and we need to be yeah. able to talk. Nice. Right, Jane, now yeah. we've got you. We've heard your brilliant story. Now we're going to ask you our three quick fire questions. So, Jane. If you could transport yourself back in time and meet your 20-year-old self, what piece of advice would you give and why? Mm, lovely. It would be, you do not have to please everyone. Yeah. Generally, women, and maybe everyone, but generally women are trying to please people and you can't. You just can't do it and you waste a lot of energy and a lot of love and a lot of um, dreams in trying to do that. Talking of just pleasing yourself, can you tell us about one life hack or productivity skill, a habit uh, that you have taught yourself recently that you think everybody needs to know about? Mm. Five minute chunks. I've actually, during this time, I've started learning Spanish. I'm using Duolingo. And, and it works for me because I do it in five minute chunks every day, just five minutes. And I've done it now consistently for 42 days. And it's fun. And is that, is that in preparation for the holiday? <laughs> ah, of course. Yeah, one day. Yeah, one day. Um, but, I, but that has been my big learning from that. I will do something regularly if I know it's only five minutes. Yeah. Mm. That makes sense. Jane, last question now. So as a podcast that focuses around people doing more good, what's your favourite story or inspiring individual that you've met on your journey who has done something good for others? Ooh, wow. Gosh, so many. You know what? I'm, and, and she'll kill me. I'm going to talk about my daughter here. And she will kill me, and you may have to remove this. She told me the story. She was living in Manchester, and she always, she chats to everyone. And, and all the homeless people that, as she was walking to work, they all knew her, they'd all chat to her. Okay, and then the one day she was walking past, and there was this guy, homeless guy, and he couldn't breathe. He was choking, and people were just walking past him. And she dealt with him. She got him on his side and cleared his airways and got the police called. And she knew there was something going round with one of the drugs that, that was going round the street. She knew what had happened. The great thing was, she said, he, he came round, he looked up and went, oh, hi, is he? And what she said to me was, hmm, I may have to rethink my network. And I went, no, that is just brilliant. That people know you, A, that she did that, but B, that people know your name um, mm -hmm. when other people just walk past. That, for me, I, I <laughs> in case you don't know, I love my daughter so much and I'm so proud of her, but I think that was one of the 
things that was like, wow, this young woman is really special. There's so, no way we're taking that out. That's a lovely story. <laughs> That's it. Okay. Yeah. It's obviously had a positive impact. It's amazing. Look, Jane, thank you so much for, for your time. The Rottweiler's been very well behaved. I know. Uh, the goldfish, not so much. I've seen him <laughs> flying around all behind you, but, you know, we're, we're doing okay. Look, is, before we wrap it up, is, is there any further thoughts or anything that you'd like to, to leave the listeners with? And, and please do kind of share the, the website URL and, and where they can find you if they, if they want to find you. Uh, okay, I've just really enjoyed this. And um, what a lovely way to spend um, International Women's Day tea time. Thank you so much. You know, in lockdown, it's kind of hard to celebrate it. This feels like um, a way of celebrating it. Any final thoughts? Yeah, it will be. Just show up. Just do it. Whatever it is, whatever that is for you, just show up and just take that first step towards it. Our website is, surprise, surprise, thegrowingclub.co.uk. Now there is a growingclub.com that's American and they do actually grow vegetables, whereas we grow women. So we're thegrowingclub.co.uk. And of course, we're on all social media as well. If anyone's listened and would like a chat, I'd love to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jane. James, any any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Oh, I mean, how can you how can you top that around growing vegetables and growing women? What a, what a lovely way to end it. I just, Jane, thank you for a for a patternful conversation. It's been great. Thank yeah. you. All right. Well, look, well, I'm sure we'll be back recording another episode soon. Jane, James, take care, and we'll see you soon. You too. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Just before you go. We've been really busy recording and editing, so from one inspirational woman to another, we'll be releasing our conversation with Charmaine Griffiths next Tuesday. That's Dr. Charmaine Griffiths, CEO of the British Heart Foundation. She has a huge passion for her role, which comes across as you'll hear next week. I'll speak to you then. If anyone wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoy this thing, where can they find us? Well, we're on Twitter, Kenneth at do more good pod instagram at do more good pod have we gone multi-channel and even gone to youtube we have but you can find all those videos on the website do more good.uk and if you want to contact us by email please use contact at do more good.uk